Welcome to Savage Minds. I'm your host, Julian Vigo. Today's guest is Karen Davis, an American music teacher and musician. Her YouTube channel, You're Kidding, Right? Created a year ago is a space where she and other women can discuss the gender wars freely. The channel continues to grow, passing its one-year anniversary two weeks ago. Karen is thrilled that many women see You're Kidding Right as a source of sanity in the midst of the continual misogynist, homophobic assault of transgender ideology and law. I welcome Karen Davis to Savage Minds. I am so happy to have you on the show. I'm a huge fan of your show. Oh, thank you so much. Well, I love the way you just talk straight on this issue, because as you know, there is so much about the gender debate that is even being undermined, as you noted in one of your yes. more recent videos, by the so-called gender critical feminists themselves. Yes. And what you raise has been a sticking point for me because I have come mm. into the crosshairs of some of the women you mentioned, in fact, because mm. they see themselves as these self-appointed gender critical gurus who say things like, well, I'm known to think, and they think they have all the wisdom of the world because of their education and class, and mm -hmm. they drive a, a dissonant discourse in the sense that they're saying sex is real, gender is made up bullshit, but you're going to have to play nice with me and respect the fact that if I want to use pronouns to refer to my BFF, because these people are in the fight with us, this is their argument, then yes. if you don't do this, you're not doing politics right. That's what I was told by one of these women. Yeah. And I really appreciated your video where you break it all down because you and I are both Americans. And yeah. one thing I noted in this debate while I was living and working out of London, Mm -hmm. many years ago, I've been doing this for nine years now, is mm. that the class issue is at the forefront here. Who is getting published in the, uh, in the media? Who is getting interviews on TV? It's the same five feminists. It's the same mm -hmm. women. And no slight to the women in academia who have suffered, mind you, but it's always going mm -hmm. to be the middle upper class women who are highlighted as being bullied out of their jobs. It's never going to be the service manager. It's never going to be the woman answering phones or cleaning bathrooms. Yeah, that's very true. Um, I think that's a very important issue. And I think um, one of the things that we would also need to discuss or that, that is uh, important is that a lot of women aren't speaking out because they have no backup. Um, I do. I'm married. And, you know, uh, if, if things got really terrible, um, my husband would definitely, you know, be there for me. Um, there are women who don't have that. And I think that what you're saying is very important because if someone is a professor and they get bullied out of their job, presumably they can at least get some kind of unemployment insurance. They probably have a decent amount of money put away. Um, if you're talking about someone who is in, you know, uh, forget about minimum wage, but if you're talking about someone who has, who's making a standard amount of money and for the, you know, I'm on the East coast. So it's like, if you're making under a hundred grand here, you're kind of up against it at least a couple times a year. And so what kind of backup do these women have? 
probably not a whole hell of a lot. If they should misgender someone and the business they're working for gets sued, if they get sued, if they get, you know, bullied out of their job and harassed. I mean, it's like, uh, it, it can be a very dicey proposition to, you know, it, it can be a very dicey proposition to speak your mind on something that should be a very, very basic issue. And I think that's another thing that uh, limits the voices in this, that, you know, women are just scared. Well, certainly we've seen this within the debate that you commented on with Julia Long speaking back to Jane Claire Jones, which is a paradox in and of itself because both women have advanced degrees, letters after their names, but one of them responded in a way that was frankly beyond arrogant because who is this person to speak for reality in the sense of, is it really fair to ask that women concede pronouns for her BFFs? Yeah, that really struck me as, as peculiar. Um, and the quality of the response was, uh, as you said, arrogant and condescending, um, where Jane Claire Jones said, not everyone, basically not everyone adheres to your ontology. And I was like, oh, for the love of God, it's just reality. And, you know, you don't need to have an ontological whatever the hell in order to understand that men can't be women. And to also to understand that, you know, people make allowances for their friends all the time. And um, if your friends are not my friends, I don't have to make allowances for them because we don't have that relationship. But if you're talking about legality um, and you're talking about social policy and you're just talking about biological fact, then there's no reason to call any man she, whoever he is. And, you know, she's perfectly free to do that. I don't think it's necessarily a good idea, but, you know, whatever, that, that's her personal life. And, and the whole point of this argument is that someone's personal life, whether or not, you know, how they identify, how they choose to dress, how they conceive of themselves, those aspects of people's personal lives should not negatively impact women and should not be allowed to do so by law. It's like some guy wants to wear a dress. Okay, keep him out of the women's restroom and don't throw me out of my job because I call him he. Um, you know, the guy has some kind of autogynophilic fantasy where he wants to, you know, chop off body parts and all this. Okay, I don't think that's a great idea either. It's his business. Keep him out of women's sports and spaces. And again, you know, don't take my business down because somebody called the guy he just it's like it's it's so not complicated and yet for some reason otherwise sane and clear-minded people throw in all of these complications when it's just it's just you know flat simple a man in a dress is a man in a dress that's the end of the story that's it no more to it yeah it's also a derail from Jones to speak about ontology. First of all, I think it was entirely arrogant because she was trying to derail with what she assumed to be no one will get this word. Well, right. a lot of people don't know that ontology is, is about metaphysics that deals with the nature of being. Many people right. do not know that there are tombs of dusty books and libraries around the world on metaphysics that even philosophers themselves find boring. But what has the nature of being 
to do with pronouns. That was a, a big tell for Jones, who once told me I did politics bad because I defended Long and Parker when they went to DC and they protested the HRC with a man who is now at the state level Senate in Maryland because they knew how to do politics well. That's what politics looks like. Politics is not staying on Twitter all day, coming up with cute five-liners. It's mm -hmm. about going and hitting the pavement and mm -hmm. grabbing rights or contesting rights. And it's uncomfortable, mm -hmm. it's messy. And I have to wonder why the British seem to not understand what protest is about, or some of them, because my goodness, there's a lot of protests in our collective histories that yeah. are even influencing one to the other in the same way that Gandhi was one of the influences of Martin Luther King. People did not think people sitting in lunch counters and blocking access to streets or sitting in the middle of a room was polite, but the kind of ad hominem that I see from some of these feminists towards the likes of not just Julia Long or, or Posey Parker, but others as well, in calling these women rude because they say that's a man in a dress. At what point can we agree that men in dresses, ontologically speaking, are men in dresses? That's a very good question. Um, and as, as I was listening to Jane Claire Jones in, in that, that little snippet, I was thinking, um, and I did have to look up the word ontology. Um, I, I was thinking, okay, listen, if you're talking about metaphysics and some guy's sense of being, that's awesome. It's completely academic, however, and it doesn't relate to anything in real life um, because it's internal. And his external, forget about sense, his external being is male. And that, that, that's, that's, really, that's really it. Um, I was reading um, the documentary of, uh, or a, a, bio, a biography of Hildegard von Bingen. And you know, she was a mystic. And so she had a lot of mystical experiences, but she was also just incredibly realistic about, look, we're here in this convent. We, we need food. We need to be able to fix this place. Um, we need to be able to maintain it and I need for the nuns in here to be safe. And so combined with her intense mysticism and amazing like off the hook creativity, she was also just like, you know, boots on the ground practical. And it's like, we need food, we need maintenance, we need protection. How are we gonna get it? Who do I ask? And that, that's it. And I think that if you're gonna drag in some metaphysics, to a discussion that is not metaphysical at all, it is definitely a derailment. And, you know, it, I really think it undermines the credibility of gender critical arguments, because if the argument is that gender is superficial bullshit and the only thing that matters, uh, you know, in regard to women's rights and safety is biological sex, when you throw in some kind of metaphysical yada yada, um, it makes the movement look weaker at its core. And it's also just so basic. It doesn't matter what the guy thinks or what you think about the guy or, you know, how many angels can dance on the head of a pin. He's still a man. I, it, honestly, I don't understand why 
this is so, I don't understand why that fantasy is held onto so, so strongly by people who are not, uh, people who do not have cross-gender ideation. I don't get it. Like, why, you know, one of the things I would love to ask Jane Claire Jones is why are you personally invested in this? Why, why is this such a big deal for you? Um, and I understand, well, I haven't been involved in politics all that much. Um, it's like, I see, the, I see it as a power struggle because that's what it is. And I see it as an attempt to gain and hold on to notoriety. Like I, I got that and the gender critical world is a small world, so yeah. But why engage in that? What is her personal stake? There certainly are own goals at the heart of this. And mm. these women are criticized regularly on Twitter and they don't have a coherent answer because ontology repeated half a dozen times is simply incoherent. Yes, How can is. she make very, and she makes coherent arguments about mm -hmm. gender and sex mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. tries to shame women who say he or that's a man. And when she said to Julia Long, you run around pointing out that that's a man in a dress or something like that, she was referring to Julia Long's action at the HRC in the spring at the very beginning of 2019. Uh -huh. And Julia Long's politics and the way she exercises that through song, she has songs that she sings that some of these feminists dislike. I mm. find it a bit odd because again, we're expected to be nice. We're expected to say, oh, but she's very sensitive and she, you know, it's why do we have to walk on eggshells? Why is it that Julia Long says this at one point, I recall, all these preferred pronouns are, all these men are asking is that women make them comfortable by ceding to their delusion. And uh -huh. I have to wonder why Jane Claire Jones does the same because she makes good arguments until a certain point. And then it's the political nice game. And it's, you know, to, to use another metaphor, it's a completely, it's a kind of step and fetch. Uh, yeah. And it's a step and fetch in a sexist way, if you follow me. And mm -hmm. I think she either is being disingenuous or perhaps she wants to feign politeness to win the argument because she does see herself as someone who's advancing this for the rest of us, for the little people. And mm -hmm. it becomes really incoherent because women who don't understand what ontology means recognize that that was a bullshit move, that she was trying to throw smoke into everyone in that audience's eyes and make it out as if she had it really down. And what I was watching, she was nervous. She didn't know what the hell she could say to Long's very coherent questions. And so she repeated ontology. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, as, I, as I listened to it like the, the third or fourth time, I thought, and I had the definition of ontology at that point. I was like, I kind of get what she's saying. What I think what she's trying to communicate is that there are gender critical people who appreciate um, that people across sex ideation, um, the less the, <clears throat> the less dysfunctional among them, um, actually 
view this as an essential part of their being and that it can be a personal choice to, um, to honor that. And, and, but again, what that should have to do with law or public policy or the actions of someone who's not an associate of one of these gender confused individuals um, is really quite beyond me. So, and, you know, it would have just been, the, the quality of response would have been more honest and less condescending if she had just said that. It's like, you know, there are those of us in this, um, in this gender critical discussion who really don't have a problem with acknowledging someone's pronouns and, you know, and maybe what we need to talk about is how we can do that in a way, how we can do that publicly in a way that doesn't denigrate women and in a way that honors these people that we care deeply about instead of throwing ontology around. And now I, I don't think that, I don't, regardless of the words used, I think that calling men she does indeed denigrate women. I think that uh, it, it is inherently misogynist because it reduces women to an idea or a fantasy or an aspiration in some man's head. And I, I don't think there's any way to do that without harming women. And then, and the thing is, if you're going to allow your personal, your personal politics, as it were, to affect the public conversation, you run the risk of allowing your personal politics to affect public policy that, as we've seen time and time again, actually leads to women being harmed. So I, I, again, it just, the whole thing just perplexes me on a basic level where I'm just like, wait, stop. <laughs> so, so you wanna call your buddy she, okay, cool, do that. But I don't have to, why do we, why do we have to, why do we have to talk about it? Like, why are there so many levels to this? Um, you know, it, one of the things that I do is, um, you know, I, I teach music and I teach music to very young children. Um, and I, so I spend a lot of time boiling complex concepts down into very, you know, very easy to manage little bites. And so uh, it, it's amazing how much you can convey using simple language that, you know, three and four year olds can understand. And then, you know, they can, they can build on these concepts as they learn more about music. Um, and I think that the same thing can be done with the gender discussion, but there, there has to be a bottom and the bottom has to be that biological sex is, is real and immutable. You, you can't, if, if we can't agree on that, then we've got no discussion. And if biological sex is real and immutable for me, biological sex is real and immutable for somebody's body. There's nothing else. That's the circularity of the argument that's been going around for years now yeah. with gender is not binary. Nothing is binary. The inverse yeah. between the somatic and the emotional so that now gender is physiological and sex is between your ears. These are all the tropes they've thrown out over the years. And then just when they hook us into the idea that 
gender and sex are interchangeable and no one is one or the other, everyone's somewhere on the spectrum, then suddenly these guys identify as a woman. They never somehow identify as somewhere on the spectrum. It's a oh. weird play, isn't it? They're, they're no. somewhere out there, but then they're a woman. And they, you know, oh. they don't want to go and make third option bathrooms. No, they want women's. And you've noted, I presume, Karen, how this is never affecting men's spaces. Uh, there was a spa in East London about three years ago where a woman went in to use the gay man. It was a gay male spa. She went in to use the services. They kicked her ass right out on the ground because those gay men know what a woman is. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Yeah, I, I talked about that. Um, and then the spa apologized and I was very disappointed. Um, and yeah, but for the most part, men's spaces are not, they're not under threat. And when, one of the things I'm going to be talking about on the channel uh, today is the work that Amy Ichikawa is doing with keeping men out of women's prisons. And mm -hmm. it is, it is unconscionable to me. And obviously uh, on a, a worldwide level, we have the destruction of women's rights and the complete erasure of women as human beings, as shown by the, the laws in California and in the state that I live in, where men are allowed to be housed in women's prison. The latest that I've read is that these men claim trans identity, and then they, uh, they, they, they issue that once they're in women's prison, they live fully, openly as men. So obviously you've got sociopaths gaming the system so that they can get into a pool of women to prey upon. So there's that. But when you start that, well, some men can be women, this is what it leads to. And, you know, I'm convinced that these men don't, don't believe that they're women. I'm convinced. I think that the less dysfunctional among them um, probably are not comfortable with certain aspects of masculinity, which makes sense, or with the general, uh, the general concept of masculinity as it applies to themselves. That's fine. That's an, that's a, an issue for their, for their psychologists. Um, I think there are others who are, you know, who are taken over by their sexual fetishes, uh, fetishes as uh, Debbie Hayton likes to talk about. Um, but at the end of the day, none of them are female. And you actually brought up an interesting point about how they, they never place themselves along the spectrum. They are either male or female as much, uh, as much decrying of the binary as they do. And I think that if one wanted to tread a middle ground, and I think that there is a very narrow middle ground, middle ground in this about the width of you know, one small foot, which would be to say that if you have gender non-conforming people who, are, who don't want to inhabit any of the gender stereotypes foisted upon their sex, that uh, they don't have to, but again, it shouldn't. It shouldn't translate into legal policy, and it shouldn't translate into social policy. And it should. It, it certainly should not give these men the right to invade women's spaces, and it, it should not translate into a human rights violation against basically all incarcerated women in the United States, Canada, and the UK. It's it's absurd. But that's where it leads to, right? So if my friend 
is a woman, even though my friend is male, then it, does my friend remain a woman if he has to go to jail? Does my friend remain a woman if he needs to be hospitalized for whatever reason? Does he get to be put in the, on, a woman, on a women's ward? Does my friend remain a woman if, let's say, I don't know, he's a medical professional and there's some woman who doesn't want a man to touch her, does she now have the right to reject my friend? Now she can reject these other men who impersonate women over here because they're not my buddy. But when we get to my buddy, then she can't reject him because he is a woman. You're listening to Savage Minds and we hope you're enjoying the show. Please consider subscribing. We don't accept any money from corporate or commercial sponsors, and we depend upon listeners and readers just like you. Now, back to our show. You mentioned a key word that's very interesting to me, Karen, the word impersonate, because I saw something the other day on Twitter, but this is something I've been thinking for years. It's Uh the language that's driven this. See, when you say impersonate, Jane Claire Jones will come out and call you mean. Uh, When Julia Long says that's a man in a dress, the same thing will happen to her, and it has. When these posh feminists who pride themselves on being leaders of this movement, even if no one voted for them, they Uh say we're building bridges. We don't want to be seen as antagonistic. Wait a sec you're building a bridge that you're actually putting a bomb on the minute you build it because you can't say words mean something and then say well he identifies as a woman let's dismantle that language julia long's been doing it i've i interviewed her years ago for my first piece met up with her in a cafe Mm. and she Mm -hmm. said to me straight on why are you using she to refer to a man very politely and i said hmm you're right. You know, like, cause I'm very, mm-hmm. I'm a very clear thinker as well. And I caught mm-hmm. myself Well, she caught me, then I mm-hmm. caught myself. There is something that we do as humans to fit into this polite culture. If someone yeah. says, that's my uncle, you're going to assume that that person is that person's uncle. You're not going to yes. wonder, you know, unless you see that that uncle is a horse or that uncle is a lawn mm-hmm. chair. And mm-hmm. we are being asked to see clearly men, as women. And these are not performatives. Back in the day when I was, I moved to New York in the late 80s, I was into drag culture at the time. I was also in my very, very early 20s. And there was something playful about it. And I was young and very naive about the whole politics of what was going on and the parody of women's lives, bodies, etc. The reduction of our lives into commentary as uh-huh. even trash. But uh-huh. this idea that impersonate versus identify as, this is what's happened. These men have been successful in capturing the hearts and minds of people because they don't say I impersonate a woman. They say, right. I am a woman inside. This is my yes. essence. And we're supposed to play along with that. Even Debbie Hayton has come under criticism by many feminists in the UK because they say, well, he says this, he writes about his aragonophilia, but he's married to a woman that we witnessed. There was a documentary made and the wife was clearly miserable. She seemed most unhappy and even suffering from some kind of gaslighting. Mm -hmm. So a lot of women point this out and they're like, but why should we be making alliances even with Hayton? Because he sort of half steps it. He says he's a man, but then 
he does this. And, and there are a lot of women, I'm sure heard about the trans widows. They too have issues yeah. with people like Hayden. So uh -huh. I'm thinking we've got on the one hand, what you mentioned with the prison system, a lot of men gaming the system who may or may not be gender dysphoric. And right. let's look at gender dysphoria in two seconds as well, because to uh -huh. what degree uh -huh. is that a real, or this is just as Ray Blanchard has come on the show to speak, but he's eloquently pointed out that as more and more gay rights advance, the uh -huh. division between the men who identify as transgender, who are autogonophilic and those who are gay men closeted, well, the gay men who are closeted are disappearing from the trans panorama. Almost all of them are now autogonophiles. But you yeah. see on Twitter, on Facebook, the angry ones who yell, and you can tell that they're not autogonophilic men. These are just misogynists in dresses. Yep. Where do we get to speak back to the likes of Jane Claire Jones, who will not have the financial difficulty, let's say, in going to a private health spa or a private gym, where most women will. They cannot simply say, can you please ask, I'm thinking of Weisbach, ask this man to leave. Because if you recall the Weisbach video, which I watched over and over and over, because I had to write about it, that woman who made the video, and then the lawyer I spoke to who made a second video of her making the video, she was really cool in the way she spoke to that gay man who tried to woken her, you know, well, I think you're talking about a transgender woman, he says, and she's like, mm -mm, that was no woman. Uh -huh. Yeah, it, it, it's peculiar. Um, I, you, you said, uh, you know, they're building bridges with bombs on them. Uh, that is exactly right. Because the thing is, this, I think that the, the gender, the gender fracas, as I call it, is coming to the attention of more and more people. And I think that's a good thing. One thing in American politics that I've noticed, however, is that if any issue is going to have even a ghost of a chance of succeeding, the messaging has to be clear and consistent. Um, you know, I've taught for a long time here and our education system is not the greatest. Um, and one of, I honestly believe that one of the reasons the Republicans succeed is because they stay on message and say the same words in the same order, frequently at the same rhythm, uh, you know, and eventually like a pop song, that, that meme, that, that little, you know, that little bit of sound is going to stick in people's heads and eventually it will, they'll start to think about it. And if we want to make any headway, on these issues in this in this country, it can't be this applies for me but not for thee. That is one thing that Americans cannot stand, um, and we see that with the struggle that we have for universal health care. It's like, well, if these people get it, why don't I get it? And one of the things people don't understand is if it's universal, dude, it applies to you too. Okay, Democrats are terrible at messaging. If we want gender critical arguments to appeal to people. You have to boil them down to the, the very, the, they're very simple, the, the very simple basis of biological sex is real and immutable for everybody. This boy in a dress is a boy in a dress. This, this girl over here, even if she's wearing pants, is a girl. Very simple, nothing changes. Um, and so, if you are allowed to 
say that, well, this is true for those people, but it's not true for us enlightened individuals over here. You're creating, um, you're creating a, a privileged class of people who are already privileged, right? And you're also, it's, it's, kind of, it, it's, it's kind of a diss in a way where it's like, okay, so for you regular people over here, yes, biological sex is real and immutable. For those of us in this ivory tower over here, then no, I can make allowances for my friends and I can tell you that you must also make allowances for them. Um, and it, it only underlines the class divide and the, the intellectual, I'm putting intellectual in quotes, the intellectual divide. Because what mm -hmm. it says is that I'm smart enough to understand this and you're not. And so if this impacts your life negatively, well, that's unfortunate. And again, it, it implies the, well, you're just not trying hard enough thing that we have over here too. It's like, okay, so you go to a spa that admits men into the women's changing area. Well, then you should just go to another one. Um, I don't go to the gym at this point because gyms around here are incredibly expensive. I have weights in my house, so I work out in my house. If I were going to a gym, however, um, I would have like one or two options and that would be it. And if they admitted men into the women's changing areas, then I would be forced to either work out at home or look for another, another, another spot that actually protects women. And I know that those places are in short supply at this point. And so that conditional nature of men in dresses being men has real world consequences for real women's lives. And you, you make a good point about Jane Claire Jones um, not having to deal with the financial fallout of that. And I mean, I don't know what her financial situation is, but I would imagine that if someone views these issues as conditional, then she must have some kind of some kind of comfortable fallback. Because the way the way that I look at it is, you know, um, if I were a small business owner and I had employees and someone misgendered some trans individual, then I would be subject to a fine of up to $250,000. My business would be gone. I would have to file bankruptcy. I mean, 200, I mean, a quarter of a million dollars. It's insane. And for most small businesses, they operate with a very small margin of profit anyway, maybe five or $10,000. So it would take very little to drive a small business out of business entirely. If the right person, possibly a friend of an academic feminist, believed that, you know, he could not possibly be misgendered, that that is the greatest defense ever to happen on the planet. And they just wanted to like sue me out of existence because their friend, the academic feminist who's gender critical said they could. So yeah, it's, uh, it, 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 it's, it makes no damn sense to me. There's also such an own goal because just today, Marks and Spencer, which is a British department store, Lord and Taylor think maybe, mm -hmm. they announced the importance of allyship. So now they have pronoun badges. 
This is what Jones has been arguing for. She's argued that we have to be allies to those people willing to work with us. But why should we have to cede reality and rational language? Because there are two things happening. There's a mental health issue for the men who are really, or the women who are really gender dysphoric on the one hand. Yes, indeed. Yes. And on the other hand, you've got a lot of men, as you said, gaming the system. Because if mm -hmm. they can get into shelters, if they can get into women's prison wings, where even the, the digs are nicer than compared to theirs, yeah. they're not confronting issues that they're escaping. And some of these men might be getting raped in their prison. Goodness knows the statistics uh -huh. on rapes in male prisons is, is abysmal. Uh -huh. Why aren't men doing their own jobs? Oh. Why are men throwing women their socks to sort out? We shouldn't have to do their work. These men who in dresses should be asking other men not in dresses to let them be in the same spa, the changing room, the pool changing room, the Marks and Spencer's changing room. Why is it that we are being asked to sort them out? Like we're their mothers. It's weird, uh -huh. isn't it? It is. It's very odd to me. Yeah. I mean, I... Uh, a couple years before I started uh, the channel, I was talking to my brother and my husband because I was noticing this weird thing in culture where men were complaining about women not letting them be men or women being so assertive that men cannot then fulfill their, their masculine role. And I, I was like, wait a second, wait a second. So if you're a man, there's nothing that can stop you from being a man because you are in fact a man. I, there's nothing I can do, however assertive I may be, that can strip you of your manhood, that it is impossible. And so if men can only be assertive and strong when women are weak and retiring or silent, then this, this notion of masculine strength that we've been sold is a fairy tale and not a very durable one at that. And one of the reasons I think that men are reluctant to go to other men and say, look, you really need to stop beating us up, harassing us and raping us is because in, if, you, if, you, if you ask another man to stop being brutal towards you, it is an admission of weakness and if we're talking about a group of men who feel, for whatever reason, emasculated by society, asking them to act out that emasculation further, would they would they would see that as a capital insult? And again, it's not women's responsibility, but I can understand why they're not doing it. In order to maintain that dominance, they have to come over here and bully women out of our spaces, because then at least they get to be dominant, right? Um, and they can use that victim narrative to bully us more effectively. It's like, well, if I have to go to men's prison, I'm going to get raped. Okay, so what you need to do is secure men's prison. And then there is something called the uh, Prison Rape Elimination Act. I don't know how effective it is. I don't think it's terribly effective, to tell you the truth. Um, but it's like, okay, so what you need to do is petition your lawmakers to make it safer or whatever it is you need to do. You don't need to come over here with us. That's, mm -hmm. you know, but again, I think that 
an aspect of masculinity is being dominant. And if you can't be dominant in one field, like if you can't be dominant among the men, you can be dominant among the women. And so I think that's part of it. And part of it is that uh, misogyny in the society seems to have been elevated to a pastime at, at this point in, in so many spheres. You see it on social media. I certainly see it on YouTube with the channel that it's assumed that women will accept being bullied and being talked down to and being threatened and being denigrated just because some dysfunctional man wants to do it. And <laughs> as you see with the prisons, like, well, you know, we want to come over here, so let us in. And we're going to find a way to get in here. And you cannot defend yourself. It, it's, it's absolutely amazing. And that women who seek to defend other women or speak for other women um, against the men who would take away our spaces and our rights to free speech, then we catch all the hell. It's amazing. Not the men who are trying to do it, but the women who speak out against the men who are trying to do it. It is shocking how many women are involved in supporting these quote unquote trans rights. Get educated, Karen. Read a book. Yes. You know, this is the constant stream of nonsense I hear, but then you just scratch the surface and ask them to explain what they mean by that umbrella of gender identity where each piece fits or how you know. Or I like to tell people all the time, I've had three children. I've given birth from my body to three children. Still couldn't tell you what it means to feel like a woman. I know biologically what a woman does, but all of this is steeped in 1950s sexism. Like I really yeah. expect for Lucille Obald and Fred and Desi Arnaz to walk in the door if you catch my drift. I do, you know, it's funny about that. Um, one of the things I loved about the I Love Lucy show is that Lucy found ways to assert herself. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, how, however, however cockamamie it may have been, and, and, you know, she wanted to be in the show. She was going to be in the show. And, you know, I also kind of felt for Desi Arnaz because I'm like, she's a pain in the ass. Oh my God, please. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, there was that, uh, there was that 50s sexist thing where it's like, you're going to stay at home. You're the little woman. You're going to stay at home. You're going to clean the house. And I'm gonna go to work, and you know, basically, this is your you're my possession. When I I listen to and read, you know, some of these these autogynophiles talking about their their female stereotypes, and like this, it just sounds like Leave It to Beaver or the I Love Lucy show. But the thing is, um, Lucy wore flat shoes and pants a lot of the time, and you know, she she wasn't all done up. It, it, you know, can, uh, she wasn't all done up all the time. Now, obviously she was on TV, so she had makeup on, but I was like, I, I used to love her, her pants and sweater sets. I'm like, wow, that, you know, it's like, it's elegant, it's comfortable and it's practical. I love it. You know, and she had a, this coat that came down to the middle of the calves and I'm like, that's, that's a great way to dress. But with the autogynophiles, files, they're always talking about swanning about in these clothes that are thoroughly, thoroughly impractical. It's like you can't do anything in them 
except go out and sit still. It's like, if you look at how tight those waists are, you can't even eat in that dress. Are you insane? It's just ridiculous. Or in those nails. <laughs> right. It's like, you can't breathe. You can't stand up straight. These are not, these are not practical garments. And I can guarantee that as soon as I got home from that event, that dress came off. And, you know, she put on the baggiest pair of pajamas she had and just like had to lie still. It's like the, their concept of being a woman is all superficial and, or it's, it's all sexual. And you mentioned earlier that uh, Blanchard was talking about autogynophiles being the overwhelming majority of men who see uh, sex reassignment surgery or genital mutilation. And that's exactly who it is. He said that back in the 80s, it was 75% uh, autogynophiles and 25% uh, gay men. And he speculated that it would be up to 85% autogynophiles and 15% gay men. And with, from the studies that I've looked at, the percentages are even, even more disproportionate. Um, there was a study, what was it? Oh, 92, when uh, only 1% of the men were gay and you know the rest were the the overwhelming percentage. I think it was eighty seven percent or eighty nine percent of the men in this uh, organization for transvestites were straight, and the rest were bisexual or asexual. So the bisexuals mm -hmm. and the asexuals outnumbered the gay men in an organization uh, specifically for men who were sexually aroused or emotionally comforted by cross dressing. And it's just, it, it's astonishing. Mm -hmm. And so why we need to play, we need to play pretend with men who are just getting off on wearing women's clothes is, is also just astonishing to me. I mean, if I did the interview with Jennifer, Jennifer Billick and obviously there's a lot of money behind this and a lot of political organization, but that, that's fine. Government does a lot of stupid stuff that real human beings who are not involved in government don't want any part of. So why we are being forced to participate in this government scheme on a personal level is beyond me. I, and why anybody accepts it is also just astonishing to me. I, people can refuse, they can resist. They do not have to play in. They really don't. Yet so many do. It's not only the money behind this, there's a lot and there's a lot of kudos going around where each organization transfers kudos and money to the next. Mm. So you pay into, let's say the Stonewall program, Stonewall rewards you, you get a badge, you can put it on your website that enables you to get certain funding mm -hmm. elsewhere. It's a real that. domino effect situation. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing the way that even the police, when they showed up uh, several years ago at Posey Parker's door to say, you're guilty of hate speech. Mm -hmm. We're finding out now in large part because of organizations like Fair Cop, that there is absolutely no legality behind these claims that these are once again, NGOs that have put out propaganda. Mm -hmm. I have a piece going up by one of our writers where I was looking for an image to put up. And there is an organization that's been created by a few university professors creating for next year, third Wednesday in October, International Pronoun Day. This is fake. I mean, I'm going to start International Julian Vigo Day. It's tomorrow, folks. 
Yay. You know, we can just make the shit up as we go along because that's how fragile their narrative is. They know it's it's based on a, a base of sand. It's not a foundation that anyone would build a house on. Paradoxically, no one cares. No, no one fact checks. Oh, International Pronoun Day. I'm going to learn my pronouns. And the, the, there's all these educational materials on this ridiculous website you can download. Zur, A. I didn't know A was a pronoun. Oi. I want oi to be a pronoun. Oi. Oi. Anyways, it's, it's so patently ridiculous that you really are left laughing at a certain point because there we are now back to class issues where we've got some of the posturati in the UK directing vitriol towards people on their own team. When I say team, it's not formally organized gender criticism, but my goodness, are you really going to take a pot shot at Julia Long and, and claim that her arguments are not valid? Because she made a really good point in that conference saying, when you say gender extremists, you're completely validating the notion that there is such a thing as gender normal. Like these yeah. activists are advancing absolute hokum. Why should we call any of it okay? Right. I thought that was an excellent point. And I, because first of all, I hadn't thought of that. Like, right. Because if you're talking about an extreme, you're implying a spectrum. And that would also imply that, you know, there's, there's someone in the middle and there's, right, there's some neutrality. And there's also someone at the extreme end, I guess, where they don't care about this at all. And if you're talking about trans rights activists, I don't think that exists. And again, it just comes, I, I love the word that you use, pasharati, by the, by the way, that was awesome. Um, there's also just the fact that whatever kind of argument you want to advance based on whatever kind of uh, philosophical or psychological, whatever the hell, it's still impossible. It's absolutely impossible. And if for, for people to change sex, and if we just stick with that very basic reality, then everything becomes very clear. And the huge thing about it is that uh, this, I, I wanted to go, con go back to the concept of, of allies. I, the more I think about it, the more irritating I find that concept because what it implies is that if you're if you're talking about gender critical feminists and radical feminists it implies that our our strength and our arguments are not sufficient and that we need the backup of some kind of powerful more than likely man in order to give our arguments more strength and legitimacy that mm. in and of themselves and in and of ourselves women cannot win this and we certainly can't win it on our own terms that we will have to accommodate some fetishists we will have to quote unquote allow some men to be women and in in which case we have shot ourselves in the foot before we've taken the first step out the door so i i it, it's it's a it's a losing strategy because if you don't believe in the strength of your own arguments uh, firmly enough to stick to them when the stakes are relatively low, meaning at a conference or in a radio interview or whatever, you're definitely not going to be able to hold on to them when things get hot. Like if you're talking about securing funding 
or if you're talking about um, supporting a political candidate or possibly becoming a political candidate yourself. And as more people become aware of these issues, they're going to be watching and they will, they will be watching, at least some of them, with a critical eye. And I think that one of the criticisms would be, well, these women can't even keep their own argument on the rails long enough for, to, to accomplish anything. And so, well, what, what, is, what does it mean? Does it mean that some men can be women, but that's what these other guys in dresses are saying? So if only our men can be women and not these men, then the argument doesn't make any sense. And I think that will lead to frustration and abandonment, to tell you the truth, because you know people only have so much time in the day. And if the argument doesn't cohere, why should they spend any time thinking about it? And if the the gender critical uh, the gender critical group can't agree on what they believe at the base, then the 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 game is up. It's it's kind of like with the abortion argument among the, the conservatives, where it's like they're they're uh, they're anti-abortion. That's it. And you know what you can see is the in the erosion of abortion rights that they're they're gradually working towards that goal of just eradicating abortion in the United States. But they are agreed on that that abortion is wrong; it should not happen. And one of the things that the gender critical movement really needs to do if it really wants to get off the ground it, and not just become an academic pursuit is to have that basic agreement that you cannot change sex, men cannot be women, men don't belong in women's spaces. If there's any compromise on that, then forget about it. Then we're all just, we're all just blowing hot air. The right has had, even when it's been a crazy narrative going, it sticks to the narrative because that's what the people understand. And mm -hmm. a lot of women have written me and say, you know, people who are new to this and they say, well, I don't understand this group of women who are saying that gender is bad, but then they're making bridges with other trans activists. It doesn't make sense to me. Uh -huh. I always instruct them to go and raise this with that purse because I'm not anyone's spokesman, but yeah. it's certainly like you point out, no one has endless hours in the day. I certainly don't have the time to spend on social media that some of these women do. Yeah. And most women have jobs, they have low paying jobs, they then have a second low paying job, they have children, who has the time to be witty on Twitter, I don't. Right. Uh, most of my Twitter feed is even automated because it becomes a publicity also. This begs so many questions about why it was ever conceived amongst gender critical feminists that these transgender individuals had to be centered. There are other groups that have done this as well. I understand in theory why they did it or thought that would be a good look. As Jones told me, it's not a good optic what mm. Long and Posey Parker did in DC, but in the end, what they did made great changes. For the first time in American journalism in recent years, that got covered by Andrew Sullivan, who then wrote more and more and more and other journalists started to. Even though I'm American, I'm not living and writing in the States regularly. I did write in the States on this subject since nine years now, but the reality on the ground is that without people like Andrew Sullivan covering this, most people would not have known. My editors where I was publishing at a California press 
told me after four years, we can't run any more gender critical pieces because we're getting too much blowback. And oh. the irony is that even though they were on my team for many years on this, money talks and their supporters yes. are more, we want pronoun badges. So they're playing that now. And oh, one okay. really has to wonder what is driving all of this amongst gender critical feminists, because what's in it for people like Jones to say, well, here's my white list of people that you let into the loos and the prisons, okay? We good? And no one does that. I don't go with my male friends, even in gay bars, I don't go with them to the loo, knowing that they will never sexually assault a woman. And I don't say, hey, let Teddy in, he's good, he's with me. No one does that. So why is this such a class division? And you and I being American, we saw this very easily. A lot of British women don't see the class divide as clearly because they're in the thick of it and they're thinking, well, they're getting the word out, they're getting the frontline coverage, they're in the news. But wait, what about women who are losing their jobs and will never be covered in the Times? Yeah, I, I think that, well, I don't know very much about British society, so I can only speculate. Um, but what it reminds me of is when I was in when I was in Catholic school, and a lot of the nuns were uh, Irish American. I don't. Th I think one of them actually came from Ireland, but they had very very strong opinions about people's station in society and your place in society, and you have to defer to your betters. And I remember hearing that, and you know, as a little black girl in the in the 70s and 80s and I was just like no I don't uh <laughs> I really don't I know that you believe that but I don't so okay um and I don't know how these women were raised and with what ideas regarding class and class mobility but um Catholic schools were started essentially for the working and lower middle class to get quality education so we could advance in society and so it's like, yeah, this deferring to your betters, yeah, this is nonsense, I'm not doing that. And I believe that that might still be a factor in British society. Um, and there's also, uh, I was also criticized for not being sisterly by uh, highlighting the exchange between Jane Claire Jones and Julia Long. And I didn't respond to that comment, but I thought, what are you talking about? Oh, no, actually, I did respond to it. And I said, you know, what's not sisterly is being condescending to another woman when she raises a fact and asks you why you're denying this fact and, you know, responding with uh, this, this bizarre philosophical language is definitely not sisterly. It's also not sisterly to 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 put forth that some men can and should be considered women just because you like them. That is not sisterly. That is misogynist. So I, I know that over there, there's this concept, right, that you mentioned it before, that we're supposed to be nice, we're supposed to defer to people who've been in this longer and people who have the education and who are academic feminists or the Pasharati. And as an American, I'm just like, yeah, no, I don't have to do any of that. I really don't. First of all, I'm over here. And I guess from, 
from the perspective of someone who's been self-employed for a long time, uh, and also someone who's had multiple bosses, this is a cool thing about having multiple income streams. Um, you are not uh, uniquely beholden to any one of these individuals. And that's how I've lived my life for like the last 30 years. It's like, you can say whatever you want, but you know what? Um, I do these other things over here. And if, if, you know, you're only, you know, if you're only paying one bill for me, or if, you know, this, if this gig is only paying one bill, I don't have to stay here. Um, and, but I mean, granted, I am in a unique and somewhat privileged position for having had that experience and knowing that um, I don't have to do what someone tells me to do simply because that person tells me to do it, particularly if they're not putting food on my table. They're not putting food on my table and not keeping my lights on and not paying my rent. So they can have whatever kind of opinion they wanna have. It, it really doesn't affect me. Um, and it, it's not going to change what I am or am not doing. I know that for other women, they don't have that luxury. So I, I wouldn't say to them, well, you know, just tell them to fuck off. Like, but because that they would be too cavalier and not taking into consideration other women's needs and, um, you know, their needs and their, their position. But at the same time, we have to adhere to a base of reality. If we're not going to do that, it, it, then, like I said, the game is lost, the jig is up, stick a fork in us, we're done. Um, you know, it, it would be very interesting to talk to Jane Claire Jones and to ask her to explain under what circumstances, and not metaphysical circumstances, but under what <laughs> circumstances is a man to be considered female? Like, what, what hoops does this man have to jump through? And if the man jumps through all of these hoops, are we then all to consider him female? Or is he only to be considered female by some people? Is he to be considered female in all circumstances? Or is he only to be considered a female in certain circumstances? And what circumstances are there and how do I recognize them? And, but the real question would be, why do I have to make this effort? It is ridiculous. Why do I have to make this social, psychological, emotional, philosophical, ontological effort when I can just say it's a dude and then get on with my day? I would love to have that conversation with him. Thank you.